Welcome to episode 52 of Love with Elise Peck. I'm your host, Elise Peck, best-selling author, love coach and marriage mentor. And through this podcast, I've been sharing with you all things love, some through the format of individual podcast episodes with just myself and most of them through interviewing people that do currently have the love that they want in their life. Now, this episode is the season one finale. So uh, I think it was September the 6th that I first got the idea to do this podcast. September the 10th, recorded the first episode. It is now November 22nd or the 21st, I believe. And this concludes the season one of the podcast. Will there be another season? I'm not sure just yet. Probably. Uh, But this is a lovely capsule of insight, wisdom, and something that is just available for anyone that wants to learn about love for free. Uh, There is so much wisdom in these 52 episodes, an unbelievable amount uh, that if you were to listen along, I think you couldn't help but have, you know, a pretty cool love life upgrade. So I'm really thrilled about that. And I'm wrapping up with a crescendo with an episode called Marriage. And this is me reflecting on um, teenage love versus adult love. It's reflecting on choosing from our our inner teenager or choosing love from our inner adult. It's reflecting on my journey from transmuting, transforming teenage love into adult love. Um, Is that possible for everyone? I talk about what makes that possible or not possible for people. I talk about the wisdom of marriage, talk about you know, do you want to choose something familiar or unfamiliar to date? There's a whole discussion on that. Um, We talk about getting very clear on what you want to create and the importance of having a North Star and having an intentional thought process about the future you want to create uh, marriage-wise for your children. Um, Now, you know, if you're not into marriage, like then this episode won't be of interest to you. You know, this is not for you. Uh, This is for people that want marriage and I'm actually um, going to be shifting. I I, I currently offer an eight-week one-on-one coaching pathway. It's currently not available again until uh, February um, 2023 Uh, but when and bookings can already be made if you want to get in and make sure you don't miss out um, uh, from February 2023 you can do that. It's already available. Uh, by just going to the front page of my website, elisepeck.com. But that is absolutely targeted at people that do want marriage. They want a marriage. Um, I've decided that's now going to be the filter for people that I work with. Is um, It used to be get the love you want. It's a pivot. It's now get the marriage that you want, right? Um, which is something I'm really passionate about. And uh, so that is, if you're single, you're absolutely eligible to get the marriage that you want. If you're in a marriage and it's not the marriage that you want, you're eligible (laughs) to get the marriage that you want. All of these fall under the category of absolutely being able to get a huge amount of benefit from doing the Love Elixir eight-week one-on-one coaching program with me. Um, So pretty thrilled about that it's actually super exciting working with clients seeing their results uh it's very 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 rewarding to see the things that start happening in their love lives uh really excites me so 
do jump onto the website and book ahead for February next year if you intend to um, jump on board while I have some availability. And um, yeah, otherwise, look, enjoy this episode. Marriage, marriage, marriage. Uh, I've been on a bit of a journey. I have not always thought this way. So you do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. So my marketing, my niche, everything keeps evolving as I evolve and as I deepen my distinctions and understandings of what really creates a satisfying life. I really have growth mindset. I have an evolving mind. It's on the front page of my website. Evolving mind, meaningful life, satisfying connection. That's what it's all about. And I will um, change in my messaging as my my mind evolves into another level of understanding. And so while at times there might have been part of me that did glorify teenage love and did, um, you know, glorify perhaps a fantasy, I'm not sure, but I can see how that could have been construed a few years ago when I first came out. Um, I've certainly moved past that now. Uh, And I really have a deep respect marriage for commitment um yes and you will feel that throughout the messaging of this podcast all right enjoy so today marriage two days out from my nine-year wedding anniversary with my husband and um so we, we've been together, it'll be 17 years this uh, April next year, so 16 and a, and a half um, years that we've been together, nine of those married. We've had two children that next year will both be uh, off to primary school, so they'll both be primary school age. Our youngest will be um, heading off to primary school like her older sister has been. And uh, reflecting on this nine-year anniversary, which, to be honest, we don't see this, we don't see the wedding anniversary to be as meaningful as our relationship anniversary. That's just, um, it's more meaningful to us having met each other and having, we we acted, we feel, like a married couple uh, from very early on. Uh, so we feel like we've been working and creating the love that we have today since then. Uh, so that's more meaningful to us that we've been committed for that length of time. But marriage uh, was this wonderful thing that made it official. And um, also it created a level of commitment that I didn't quite grasp at the time. So I was 25 at the time. And I'm so glad <laughs> that I, I made that commitment so that I could kind of grow into that. Uh, the reality of that, in the sense that I was all in, but I had not been challenged really in that commitment at all. I had not been challenged at all. It had been nine, at that point, seven years of, you know, being uh, teens to early 20s, studying, um, having plenty of disposable income or both working full time. Really, you know, you don't get the same challenges as when you decide to bring children into the world and um, create a life together that now you're responsible for other people. That's a whole different, that's a whole different ball game uh, to just being two people in relationship. It's just, it's a totally different thing. And um, 
something my husband often says is like, you can't tell a good man unless he's actually been tested. Like, how do you know uh, that you actually would choose something noble if you've never um, had temptation put in front of you, for example? Like, just say, you know, uh, if... Well, I think I think I think you get what the point with that is. I don't don't want to find some random example. I think we can all grasp that. And I think um, having children, and especially for us, having children in a situation where um, really we wanted to create something, we wanted to create a new blueprint of the way we we're going to raise children, uh, which we felt meant that we were best off to. I guess, for want of a better word, control of much of what our children were exposed to as possible in their early years. So we relied heavily on the two of us instead of on a village while raising children. And again, that's a different scenario. However, I see it very, very frequently in Sydney. So we live in Sydney, Australia. And there are so many travellers and people that have have come from another country for the opportunity of working in Sydney. There are so many nuclear families, there's so many parents that don't have any um, village around them. And they're, it's, it's really, really common in Sydney. Um, there's not many people, there's not that many people I meet that grew up in Sydney and have family local. There are some, sure, uh, but also there's a lot that um, they've moved to Sydney and their family don't also live in Sydney, which is our situation. And so raising two children, um, just relying on the two of you, uh, and at the time... We didn't really have the budget to get additional help, like an au pair or a nanny. That takes the idea of marriage to a whole other level. Um, and I think it's then that you start to understand what have I committed to? What have I committed to? And now, now that I understand what I was committing to, now I see um, why on a wedding day they say this is a solemn occasion. And I feel because of Hollywood, because of movies, because of Hallmark, because of whatever, all the messaging, we're so much more focused as a society on the ring and the wedding party than on what it actually means to be married, especially if we don't have a religion. I mean, I was watching the show Love is Blind and um, I notice in some families where they have a deep religion so if they're very like they're Jewish or this or that there is an actual process and they sit down there are agreements that are made and there's very clear what marriage is same with arranged marriage I've had people on the podcast discussing arranged marriages it's a very intentional process people are very clear that they're making you know a lifetime commitment what that means they're very clear on what the criteria ought to be with someone that you're committing your life to and a very long-term view whereas it seems that most people these days are choosing a marriage from like they're in a teenager rather than they're in an adult, you know? Oh, the chemistry, the fun, the fire. Um, and I'll put my hand up, I reckon. <laughs> my husband and I did do the initial screening. We met each other and the, the, there was an initial logical, intentional process. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but then beyond that, we were very much just, it was very much like teenage love. And so we have uh, essentially had the process of transforming, um, I guess, what is more of like a teenage bond into real adult love. 
you know, and there's many terminologies for that. Um, but I, I guess that has been the journey that we've been on. And now that I've, now that we've gone through the teenage kind of sensation of love and it just being mainly feelings based rather than as much logic. Uh, and now that we've developed it into adult love, um, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a very different thing. (laughs) Um, it's much better as an adult. It's much, it's, it's, it's like stable and, um, there's real intimacy. Do you know what I mean? You, there's a bit of awkwardness in teenage love. <laughs> Whereas in, in adult love, uh, you get really real with each other. I mean, you have to. You've got to see each other in everything, right? You see each other, you know, I mean, he's seen me giving birth and um, being at my wit's end and being in the depths of every, like, you see everything in real adult love and you break the fantasy. There's no fantasy anymore. You both know you're both human and then you start building the real thing. Whereas um, the teenage love is very distracted by the infatuation chemicals. It's very much still, you know, thinking that life will be a fantasy and can be a fantasy and should be like an endless summer as opposed to, ha- as opposed to having an acceptance of every single season of the year and every single season of life. Um, and so with that, I have a lot of reflections now on when I am coaching people, working with people, and I can see they're choosing from their teenage self versus their adult self. And it's just got to be said, my husband and I both have, uh, and I've learned probably a lot from him, but having said that, growing up, um, you know, something that was said about me was Elise is extraordinarily determined. Uh, it's in my person. It's in my personality. I'm a very determined person, and I'm used to committing to long-term things. I did a sport for uh, from the age of two to sixteen. So for the first fourteen years of my life, I was committed to one club and one sport. Um, for I did a commerce law degree. That takes an insane amount of commitment. You are at the top of your class. You graduate. You're getting you know over the ninety blah blah blah. Uh, you know, the top, top, top uh, scores. And then you turn up and they say, look to your left, look to your right. Only one of you will be here at the end of your law degree. So of the top hard workers in year 12, only 33% of them actually make it through law school. So again, that's a, in, a huge level of determination and grit. So just what I want to share is my husband and I both have a deep personality trait of grit and determination. It's why I could breastfeed for three years, four years. It's why when I had a high needs baby who only slept every 45 minutes, I still held that baby. I did whatever it needed and there's no way I was ever going to sit there. uh, I was ever going to let it cry itself to sleep. That is absolutely something I was never willing to do. And that's why I was willing to commit to that for three years being sleep deprived. I didn't give up no matter what. So I just want to share that the reason I'm saying this is not everyone has such an insane level of grit. And so not everyone is likely as is, is likely going to be able to transmute teenage love into real adult love. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot. And in an ideal world, you have adult love before you bring in children. Instead of having teenage love, having children are falling apart and then you're being like, holy shit, what has happened? Where did our fantasy go? And then trying to create adult love while having children. That is a lot. That is a lot. I'm telling you from experience, it's a lot. And so 
one of my goals now as a coach, as a speaker on love through this podcast, uh, and as an author, I sort of is to try to help navigate people at the start into adult love versus trying to do what we did, which is teenage love to adult love, which is just super hard. And frankly, I think most people will quit. Most things I've done in my life, I keep going and other people have quit. Uh, just so I think, I think you're setting, it's, it's much harder to get the love that you want long term if you enter at teenage love. If you enter, if you, if you go do the work of becoming an adult and you enter at that point, it's just going to be easier. Of course, both can be done. And of course, if two of you at the end of the day have grit and are team players and growth mindset and self-awareness, uh, then you, you can too transmute sort of fantasy teenage love into real adult love where you both see each other as truly a real human that isn't going to take away anything or save you or, you know, uh, you see it as someone who has jumped on board with you to create a vision versus someone that's going to save you from something. How you feel before you get into a relationship will eventually be sort of how you feel in that relationship. And I know so many people don't want to believe that, like, no, 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 I will be so confident when I get the love of my life. No, no, I will be so, yeah, during the honeymoon period, you will eventually you are going to come back. Uh, if you keep going, <laughs> uh, you'll come back to your set point and then you'll realize, oh my gosh, I've got to work on it. And just now it means I'm going to have to work on it while I'm being triggered by this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> while this person is, is triggering my lack of confidence, I'm going to have to work on it while the person I thought that was going to save me is still triggering it. Uh, so that can be a real reality, reality check. And I really believe we can le- either learn through insight or pain. Insight is hearing someone that has walked the journey and has the result and is saying, hey, this is what I learned. And if you absorb some of it, you're likely to get a shortcut. Um, Pain is I will do it myself. (laughs) And in 17 years time, I'll be saying a very similar thing. Um, I'll have just gone through so much pain on the way. And so something flicks in my mind uh, when I'm coaching someone. Uh, if I can see they want teenage love, no matter what I say, I will no longer persist with my viewpoint and I will just help them get the teenage love that they want with the knowledge that they, ha- they are now choosing to learn through pain, right? If you get a mentor and you don't listen to their insights, you're, you will learn. You just won't learn through their insights. You will eventually learn through pain. And so both of them are coaching in a way. Both of them will lead to the, <laughs> lead to the result. But it, it, it's can you, can you take the short-term discomfort of sitting with uncomfortable feedback or uncomfortable truths so that you can get long-term comfort of a better result? Or are you going to go, um, which is a success mindset, right? Long-term gratification, delayed gratification is a success mindset. Successful people will do something uncomfortable today for a more comfortable future. Okay, people that think with mainly their right brain, they don't have impulse control, um, more of a teenager mindset, not a fully developed um, prefrontal cortex, not fully developed emotional control, not fully developed um, emotional regulation, this sort of stuff. Um, they, they, they do short impulsive stuff. What's going to make me feel good today, even though it's screwing over future me, right? And 
there's a quote, and um, I've forgotten who said it right now, maybe it was Tim Ferriss, says, a person's success in life can often be measured by the amount of uncomfortable truths they're willing to hear about themselves. So the amount you're willing to get uncomfortable feedback from someone who has the result you want, not just from anyone, as Brené Brown says, only take feedback from someone in the ring also with mud on their face and sweat and tears because they're also putting in the work. So, you know, you don't take feedback from someone that doesn't have any results you don't want. But if someone has a result you do want and they're giving you feedback and it's uncomfortable, your ability to sit in that and reflect is proportionate to the amount you're going to be able to grow. If you would prefer to have a really strong defense mechanism of a self-serving bias that every time you hear a bit of feedback that makes you feel a bit inferior or like you've got room for growth, if you want to boomerang that to make the other person wrong and to devalue them and to kick them off the pedestal so that you can maintain your status quo, you're not going to grow as fast as if you were able to let feedback from someone that has a result you want hit your system and you contemplate it. You sit with that for a bit. You just sit with it. And so the amount to which you bat away uncomfortable feedback from someone with a result you want is the amount to which you're batting away control and growth and achievement in your life. Right. So with that being said, the insights from that I've had from my journey with love, which has involved doing a lot of research. I even, you know, enrolled in postgraduate uh, graduate diploma of psychology at UNSW, and I'm uh, quite a few subjects into that. Uh, I have coached people for thousands of hours now. I've studied a lot. I've trialed so much stuff in my own relationship. Um, I've listened to the, the likes of Jordan Peterson talk about marriage and attachment specialist Adam Lane Smith. Um, but that's just scratching the surface of what I've actually done. It's been a really long journey of trying to figure out, you know, not only how to get real love, but how to um, transmute disorganized attachment into secure attachment. And uh, I've also interviewed lots of people on this podcast um, about getting the love that they want, including including mental health therapists and um, uh, people that ha- help others get an unbreakable marriage. So with that, I've really come to believe that... Um, We need to find the center between our logic and emotion when we're making relationship decisions. We cannot go too far logical and we cannot go too far emotional. We need to find the center, which you might also call the center of masculine and feminine. And um, Adam Lane Smith says people with broken attachment decide only from their emotion and people with, um, Adam Lane says attachment specialist, and people with Uh, secure attachment, make relationship decisions from their left brain, from their logic, right? And so it's, it's wise to really just reflect if you're deciding, making decisions from emotions or because you know what you want to create in life. You have a North Star, you have a vision and you're committed to making that happen and you've thought about how what you're doing today is in fact going to create that long-term vision. Have you connected how the relationship you're in today is going to create what you want in 20 years' time? Have you connected how what you're in the relationship you're in today or the relationship you want to manifest or create today, how that will be experienced by your future t- children? Have you connected how the relationship you're having today is going to be creating the blueprint for your children and is 
that the blueprint that you want for them? What blueprint do you want to create for your children? Now, if that's one of secure attachment, it's very wise to make relationship decisions more from the left brain. Understanding that a lot of emotions stem from our childhood and our blueprint that was created then. And if we don't want to create the same blueprint for our children that we had, if, we would, if we've looked at our childhood and been like, thanks, parents, great job, you did great, you really improved on the generation before you, high five, and also my inner, my inner ding, whatever, is calling me to create something different. My, my, my inner pull has a different vision of what it wants to create. Um, I have a vision of, you know, whatever it is. Just say if you've come from a chaotic family, I have a vision of order. Just say you've come from a family of abuse. I have a family of, I have a vision of safety. Just say you've come from addiction. I have a vision of connection and no addictions. Uh, whatever it is that, you know, that you would like to create, be aware that, um, the version of you that is going to create that needs to be needs to change. You're going to need to up-level who you are and change who you are to create a new outcome. Because if you just run your life by what feels good, easy, comfortable, what feels good with emotions, what gives you chemistry, um, that's going to be you recreating your old blueprint. Right? So if you got a great blueprint in childhood, your chemistry can be trusted because <laughs> you'll be attracting someone like your mum or dad. And if you like the job that they did, then great, go for it. Go, for, go with your chemistry, right? Go with what's familiar because your familiar is, you want more of that. If you want more of what's familiar, just relax and go with it. But the chances are, if you actually got a good blueprint, what's familiar will be intentional planning and thinking things through and sitting down with your family and making a logical decision. That's just the reality of it, right? Um, now, if you don't like the blueprint, if you don't like the relationship that your mum and dad had, realise that you're going to need to make the unfamiliar familiar. Your, your, your job is harder, but worth it. And the great thing about doing the hard job is if you know how to go from point A to B, you now know how to teach others to go from point A to B and you can also help your children transmute point A to B. So, um, you know, just in the sense that like, like it's the person that accidentally gets a result is nowhere near as powerful as the person that intentionally created it. Because if you intentionally create it once, you can intentionally create it again and again and again. You can help others. Uh, you're so much stronger. And when the rails fall off, when you fall off the rails, you know how to get back on. You're in a way stronger position than the person that accidentally got the result, right? So there is a real beauty and wisdom in being handed a blueprint you don't want and then learning how to create a new one. It makes you very, very powerful. Um, and it, yeah, it takes a lot of work, uh, but the alternative is you live out the same, the same cycle that you were handed. You give your children the childhood that you had, which if you enjoyed your childhood, great. Um, if, you, if there was room for improvement, then it's, it's time to start looking at what you can do differently. Um, yeah, because it's all about, well, what do you want? What do you, what do you want your legacy to be for your children? What, what blueprint do you want to see them to learn about relationships? All right. So 
That is just to say, it is going to be uncomfortable to choose something that is good for you if you didn't come from a family that was necessarily good for you, right? If you felt the majority of the time very, very stressed around your family, if your family felt like a source of stress, even though it was comfortable, um, but you just felt like you couldn't really trust anyone, you couldn't really tell them everything about you, you had to wear a mask, you had to perform, oh, no, everything's great, this and that. You had to be very calculated about what you did. And if you couldn't really be intimate with your family, um, then it's going to be uncomfortable choosing someone different to them, but it's going to be necessary if you want to create the level of psychological safety that you need. Or you can just choose someone and, you know, go into the infatuation phase and then when it gets really hard, Uh, at that point, (laughs) learn how to do real love, which is what we did. Um, So having said that, um, I did get exceptionally fortunate that I did have enough of my logical brain online that, uh, and so did my husband, that we did do some, some initial screening before we got swept off into the infatuation. And I, I think, one of the luckiest things that happened, if I can use the word luck, I know I don't really believe in luck to a certain extent and most people in the coaching world don't because uh, for every reason that, you know, you think you can't get a result, someone in the exact same situation got the result, was that luck or was that because they put in the effort? You know, I think it's majority comes down to effort and attitude. Sure, there's more opportunities and things like that. But anyway, I'm not going to go on down the rabbit hole on luck. All right? <laughs> but I will say one of the greatest things that did happen was that I got on board a team player who is very persistent, doesn't quit, um, and is willing to grow and is willing to take hard feedback. And I think without those things from both of us, it would have just belly flopped. It would all be over right now, (laughs) right? Um, Because we did need to grow a lot. And so if anything I can offer is um, getting the right person on the bus at the start is crucial. And what the right person is, is different to what people think the right person is, right? (laughs) People think the right person is the one that gives me, oh, the hot and like I want to have sex with them. That's the right person. Uh, The right person is... Can I solve problems with this person? Will this person take some accountability? Is this person willing to grow? Does this person, you know, have persistence or do they quit at every first hurdle? Do they run when it gets hard? Now I've got to say hand up. I'm a bit of a runner, um, but I always, (laughs) but if it's in my value set, I, I generally, to some things I do keep going. I do have that determination and I've really had to work on my, desire to flee hard things. Um, so it's, everyone has got something to something. It's a, to what extent, you know, are you a runner? <laughs> um, you know, like I was watching Love is Blind and like they have a little bit of tension and people are like, I'm out. And it's like, that's, that's a little too trigger happy, you know, you've got, <laughs> so someone that is willing to work at things, the balance of how much they're willing to work at things outweighs the degree to which they're a bit of a runner. <laughs> um, so I think those things, we were lucky, you know, again, I've said that word of luck, but we were, we're, it was great that we screened very early on for what the person wanted to create. And I guess we saw signs that 
that we would each team players, but we both had the same vision, an attitude of determination and grit and hard work. Neither of us shy away from hard work. I think these are important things to screen for if you want marriage with someone. Now, not everyone wants marriage. No worries, this doesn't apply to you. Um, This is for the people that have the desire to have a lifelong commitment that is satisfying, that is not suffering, but that, you know, has a good goodwill ratio of at least five supportive moments for every two challenging, right? The golden ratio by the Gottman Institute. Relationships that are satisfying have five supportive moments for every two challenging. So you really want your marriage to have at least five supportive moments for every two challenging. If you're at 50-50, if you're at half challenge, half support, it's more of a, it's more like that sort of trauma bond dynamic, right? The challenge will be there, but it ought to be five supportive to two challenging. Um, all right. Now, with that in mind, I found uh, a book that we received from our wedding celebrant nine years ago on our, um, after the day after we, well, not the day, a few weeks after we got married. Uh, he sent us some photos and some words. And, um, yeah, there's just, I loved a, f- a bit, of, I was reading through it and some of the things that he had to say on marriage, I was like, look at all that wisdom <laughs> that was handed to me at 25 when I wasn't in the vicinity or the, of having it fully land with me. Uh, but I just want to read out some of them. So here's something that uh, our celebrant said on the day and is in this book, and it says, Now just before you say these vows to each other, I remind all of us of what a vow is. A vow is a solemn promise, a pledge that binds, a commitment of heart, mind, body, and soul, a commitment that recognises this as the most important of human relationships above all others. To give and to receive such a commitment is one of life's greatest gifts, right? And this is not to say there's something wrong with divorce because at the end of the day, if the other person has dishonoured their commitment and they're no longer trying, right? They're not trying. Like, what are you going to do? Sit around and, you know, it's... But you're both committing and then you're both relying on both of you staying true to that commitment. But it requires that both of you do stay, stay true to that commitment to, to keep it working. So there's, you know, never any shame on in abandoning something that has no hope of actually giving you the goodwill ratio, right? Um But in an ideal world, two people are understanding this and wanting to make the commitment work and we can never control anyone else. All you can do is show up as the spouse that you want want to bring to to a marriage. And um, if it doesn't work with the person in front of you, at least you have a great blueprint to, to bring to the next right person, right? You can never fail by becoming a better partner because if you're a great partner, you will be snatched up by someone who won't let go that does value a great partner, right? Great partners are in high demand. <laughs> um, I think that the dating apps, it's like 10% of the people get 90% of the interest, yeah? So you want to become like that 10%. What makes someone that 10%? What makes someone in that, that what's a 10%er? What do you think makes them want, have everyone else on the app want to be with them? Okay, very little. I mean, attractiveness only plays into a certain part of it. I've studied social psychology and with attractiveness, basically people just, the way attractiveness works, people pretty much just want to find someone within one to two points of their own level of attractiveness. Yeah, so you're just, 
you know, attractiveness is like, unless you want to attract a supermodel, you don't need to look like a supermodel, you know? Um, yeah. And it, like, honestly, the criteria, uh, of relationship and what you get out of it, um, yeah, you won't care how attractive this person is if they turn out to be an asshole. <laughs> you won't. They will start to look really ugly. And I think most people know this on some level. You know, we've all seen plenty of really attractive people that just can't maintain or keep love, yeah? Um, there, There's plenty of people, and I think everyone has said this. You've got all the famous therapists say that they work with supermodels that can't find love or can't keep a man committed, so we've got to get rid of the illusion that like being a supermodel gets you loved. Being a supermodel gets you the ability to get with another supermodel. Okay. That's what it gets you. And it gets you heaps of interest from people that value attractiveness. Um, huge. I mean, you don't necessarily want those people. You want people that have a higher value on growth mindset on, um, yeah. So attractiveness, yes, it does matter to some degree because you will, only feel that comfortable with someone on a similar level to you. It's been shown that if you get with someone way more attractive than you, eventually it creates anxiety. <laughs> it's not enjoyable. It's best to go. <laughs> it's best to you get a bit paranoid. Um, so it's, this is like a social psychology thing. It's kind of best to kind of, um, yeah, go only within one to two points of your own level of attractiveness is what um, the, the science has to say about that. All right. So that's one part. And here's another part that the celebrant said about rings. And I find rings interesting because I notice some people don't wear their rings. And I've got to say, I would be so upset if my spouse didn't wear their ring because it is an external symbol that this person is committed to you. It's letting everyone know I have an important person in my life and this is displaying my commitment to them, right? I think... um, it's very meaningful. So here's a little part about the rings um, that's in the book that our celebrant said on the day. James and Elise, let these rings serve as a reminder of the feelings you have in your hearts at this very moment. In the future, as you look at your wedding band, remember the gift that you have been given and all that you have in one another. Remember that you have someone to share this life with. I give you this ring. It is a gift my commitment to our future. It shows the world my personal promise of love and trust and the pride that you are my partner. See, I think that's just, it's an important step in showing your commitment. Um, And so we had our vows and they're beautiful. And something else I just want to, oh no, let me just see. Here we go. Um, I just, there was something else. Oh, he also got the family, the whole wedding to commit to supporting the marriage because um, that's, a, that's a principle in arranged marriages but in all marriages that really a marriage requires the whole village to help it thrive. And I think that's important but let's be real here, that's never going to happen in narcissistic family units where um, – Parents are often jealous of their own children. It's the most bizarre thing. But it's, an, it's a nice ideal to strive towards, right? It's, it's, it's a nice ideal. Um, and I, I think a, a nice thing that we did that day to, you know, ask for the support of the village. 
And I love this part. Um, the celebrant asked his, he was a, he's also a primary school teacher. He asked his students, uh, what is love? And so he asked five and six-year-olds to state what is love. And here were some of the answers from five to six-year-olds. Love is when you like someone heaps. Love is sharing. Love is hugs when you're sad. Love is not hitting. Love is being kind. Love is cleaning up after yourself. Love is going on holiday together. Love is kissing each other. Love is tucking you into bed. Love is saying, I love you. Love is everything and family. And then the celebrant said, but there is no love without friendship. And really marriage is just a friendship recognized by law. And those values of friendship resonate throughout your marriage. Although this is indeed a high point, marriage is a journey, not a destination. Marriage is more than any one single event or promise. It is a series of decisions that have been made and will continue to be made over and over again every day. That shows each of, that shows each of their care, concern and respect for the one whom they each love most in the world. There are no guarantees in marriage. Marriage is a work of love. It calls for two people to remain individual while building around themselves a world that they will call their own. I just thought that was wisdom. Wisdom. And he also details a bit of our story. Um, I just want to share a little bit about the part he captured. It's interesting for me to look back on nine years ago because I coach people now and I'll reflect but it's interesting to see what I was saying nine years ago when I was going to get married about James. And um, here's, it's captured in this book. It's apparently what I had said. Um, so he writes, the foundations are, are there. They share so many similarities. They complement each other's contrasting traits and lose themselves in each other no matter where they are. Elise admires how James really does see the best in everyone. She loves his patience, his loyalty, his calm nature, his belief that everything will always work out, his confidence, his warmth, his youthful spirit, his persistence, and his love for organizing fun surprises. For James, he admires Elise's integrity and courageousness to always speak her mind and stand up for what she believes is right. Her patience with his male ego and aloof nature He's a bit forgetful. <laughs> um, her wisdom with helping him through any challenge, her perseverance and drive to achieve anything she sets her mind to, and most of all, her selfless heart and all the support she's given James over the seven years and a bit. So that's a little bit about what we're each thinking about why we valued each other at the time. And then here's the words um, that we shared about what we thought when we met each other, when we first met each other. And for me, it was, um, there was something about James that instantly put Elise at ease. She felt so comfortable being around him and chatting to him. It just felt right. And then for James, James was equally smitten. He kept thinking, <laughs> I'm going to blush at this part. He kept thinking Elise was the most beautiful, captivating and outgoing woman he'd ever met. Her brightness, fun loving, and above all, Elise's playful nature kept James enchanted. So I felt at ease and he felt this sort of energy of brightness and playfulness, which I've noticed when I'm interviewing couples, there's often one, one saying they felt comfortable and the other person saying they felt a boost of energy. Um, so I think there is something to do with compatibility in terms of from a polarity, a temperament standpoint is usually one person is a bit of a faster paced person 
and they get with the complementary opposite of a slower paced person <laughs> and the slower person just teaches a fast person how to slow down and the fast person teaches a slow person how to pick up the pace a bit and they sort of um yeah you you learn you eventually start taking on each other's traits and it's a way of sort of um yeah each of you owning both those all the traits within yourself um yes so that's what I wanted to say today about marriage it's two days out from our nine-year wedding anniversary and I've got a very different perspective now on marriage I do see it as a really important commitment I see it as a really important um base for children uh and I absolutely I think there's no black or white I think uh a couple that is coexisting better as co-parents when they're divorced is much healthier than um, two people that hate each other forcing a marriage to keep going. Uh, you know, the whole point of the reason why marriage is supposed to work is it provides a secure, stable base. So if the marriage is no longer a secure, stable base, then, um, you know, it's not serving the purpose that makes it beneficial to children, right? But on the whole, if marriage is working and both people are trying to make it work and both people are actively working towards something better and even if the children can see, you say, yeah, we make a lot of mistakes, we don't get it right and we're working on that and they can see you willing to work at things, um, there's beautiful wisdom in that as well. Yeah. All right, there's the reflections on marriage today. The main takeaway was I've learned that uh, things can go a bit hectic if we make decisions from our inner child or our inner teenager, which is more hedonistic, short-sighted, um, greedy, you know, it's sort of like the seven deadly sins, right? Lust, greed, gluttony, all that sort of stuff. Um they're more impulse-driven. They're more deciding from an irrational mindset, one that isn't really intentional and logical and calm, right? Something I've learned is that it's very wise to stop, get clear on what you want to create out of your life and then ensure that every day your life is a reflection of a person that actually wants to create that outcome. What is your long-term vision? Is it a satisfying, committed marriage that provides a stable base so you can provide secure attachment for your children by role modeling that? And the beauty of commitment is, uh, the beauty of marriage is it provides a commitment that's much harder for people to back out of. It's much harder you, to leave a relationship. So it's going to give people pause to reflect, you know, what heart am I going to choose? Am I going to choose divorce or am I going to choose working at this marriage? And I think that level of security is a beautiful gift to give to children. It's a beautiful gift to give them the certainty of two adults that have gone so far in that it would be so hard for them to unwind it. Um, yeah, and I think that there's there's a lot of wisdom to that. I think we sometimes I think we might have thrown out a bit of the the baby with the bathwater when it comes to some of the the traditions and and concepts. Uh, and I think people are starting to starve for connection because their expectations of life are not based in reality. They think everyone thinks they can have a Hollywood romance, but look how quickly Hollywood romances last, huh? Not long at all, right? Um, 
except for the very few people that, that do commit, like Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld, what's her name? She's got a long-term marriage. Anyway, <laughs> I'm darting all over the place. Um, yes, that's what I want to say is I think there's a lot of wisdom to marriage. I'm seeing it. I think it's a great gift to give the gift of secure attachment because people are starving for connection. And um, the more they starve for connection, the more they start looking for variety of intimacy rather than depth of intimacy. And depth of intimacy is really figuring it out with the person in front of you and creating... uh, finding all the variety you need within the one person, finding out how to cultivate exactly what you want. I mean, something that Jordan Peterson said is, you know, if you do feel chemistry or you do feel lustful feelings or whatever, notice it. Notice what created that fantasy and bring it into your marriage. Hey, like, this was the fantasy. Can we, like, bring that into our marriage somehow? Can we, like, you can... You can own the traits within the person in front of you. You can cultivate the feelings within the person in front of you. Um, If you've got someone that's willing to work and willing to build with you, uh, then I would be looking at what is something I've had to look at is what is a part of me that wants to run? What is the depth of intimacy that I'm afraid of? Um, Yeah. All right. Those are my marriage insights for today. Uh, I look forward to connecting with you on another episode of Love with Elise Peck. By the way, there might be a bit of a pause now in the podcast. Um, Yeah, I think that probably might, this might conclude season one of Love with Elise Peck. And uh, I've got a, yeah, a few things coming up, a few shifting priorities and et cetera, et cetera, that I think wraps this up as a season one. And uh, so, yeah, I hope you've had a really great time listening along to these love stories with me. I might pop on with a few solo sessions, but um, yes, I've been setting my North Star and my goals and rearranging my time accordingly. So, um, yeah, for example, if if you did want to work with me one-on-one, I think uh, if you were to go to book into the Love Elixir, which is my eight-week one-on-one pathway to help you can radically up-level your love life. It's the smartest way to get the love that you want. And I say smart because we're definitely using your left brain, not just your right. We're trying to veer away from teenage-based chasing a fantasy to intentional adult wanting to create um, the marriage that they want. Uh, And that's for single people and married people. So that's whether you have the marriage or not. if, you don't, if the marriage you have or the love in your life isn't quite reflecting the marriage you ultimately do want to have, uh, that it, then it's for you. Um, so that's an eight-week pathway. That is That includes eight one-on-one sessions with me. So eight one-on-one uh, coaching calls with me over eight weeks. And, um, yeah, that is currently not available. It's booked out. Um until February 2023, I believe, is when sometimes open up again. You can find out by going to elisepeck.com. Going to on the front page, you can you can click book the love elixir, then look at the start date you can choose. Uh, or you can go to book now tab 
and try to book in a call with me and see when there's a first date that you can get into the calendar. I believe um, from memory without my computer in front of me right at this moment that it's February 2023 uh, is the the next availability for the Love Elixir. Um, yes, other than that, I'll be putting out probably some blogs. And of course, I'm over, over on my Instagram if you want to connect with me more there. Today, I've actually done a reel uh, sharing some extracts from the book today from the book I just read from some more it has a bit of more of our story um over on Instagram but other than that uh, it's been lovely connecting with you if you have any questions you can email me at hello at elisepeck.com bye for now Thank you so much for joining me for the finale episode of Love with Elise Peck for season one. All right. So big download about marriage, a bit of insight there into what it's like to work with me. I'm I'm guessing not quite. I mean, you don't actually see any of the coaching in there, any of the tools that I use or um, I guess the majority of what I do, which is uh, (laughs) asking you plenty of quality questions and helping you to, to move through things and extracting a lot of your inner wisdom and alignment and values and getting you filled up. So you don't see the alchemy of what I do when I'm coaching someone, but you get a bit of a flavor for the style of human that I am, which is not compatible with everyone. All good. <laughs> um, it's, it's, yeah, it's great to be in alignment with, um, whoever you're working with towards you know, any relationship, you want a common goal and you want common values um, and to be able to create them together. So yeah, that has been my download, my insights on marriage, on secure attachment. I clearly have a value on marriage. I have a value on secure attachment. I have a value on stability um, for children. I have a value on uh, giving children as good a start to life as you possibly can. So uh, if that's something that also aligns with you, then uh, absolutely jump into the Love Elixir. So you can find out more about that at elisepeck.com. There's a little write-up on the front page about the four keys that really make up getting the love that you want. Um, And also there's so much complexity underneath each of the four keys. I have drilled the complex down to the simple to create it under those four headings. Um, But through an eight-week coaching pathway, I give you the tools that will create transformation, yes, within those eight weeks, but really if you embody and take on what you learn in that amount of time and you continue with it, uh, it will be an ongoing process, right? Um, it's, it's about learning what you need to learn to then continue carrying on and implementing that uh, to carry through your relationships. And ultimately, by the end of the eight weeks, you ought to have had enough um, you know, immersion in the coaching to start learning how to be your own best coach, how to really show up in your own brain as your best self-regulator and, and self-coach. Uh, that's part of the power of it as well as just borrowing out someone else's mindset and hearing how they talk and how they talk to themselves, um, especially if they have a result that you want, which my clients have great results and I've certainly uh, come through the trenches of not having the love that I want, getting the love that I want. And um, it's really hard to ever display the result that you have. Um, <laughs> you can't really see the result um, by showing it on an Instagram post. Like, 
the great relationships are not the ones that kind of look actually great on Instagram. <laughs> Usually the great relationships, they love hanging, we love hanging out on the couch together. It's not that exciting to photograph. <laughs> we like talking to each other. It's not that exciting to photograph. You know what I mean? It's not like the bucket list family that's like doing all these like skydiving and stuff or doing dance routines in the kitchen together and putting it up on social media. Um, but yeah, uh, if I didn't have what I... If I didn't have my current result, I would want my current result. <laughs> so <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. Um, now, um, that concludes. I just want to say thank you. I want to take a moment to be really, really grateful for listening along, for trusting me enough to even listen along, for trusting that there must be some level of insight or wisdom or even, who knows, entertainment here um, that you feel is worth your time and your energy and for that I'm grateful it's a level of connection isn't it um, so thank you so much for listening along if you've got any value out of this season one of love with Elise Peck please go to your favorite podcast platform rate it um, it'd be awesome if you gave it a five-star rating I believe that probably bumps it up makes it potentially gives it more exposure so more people could learn about love and learn about um my philosophies and what I have learned when it comes to love which honestly I, I really would like to leave a legacy of secure attachment like my vision is here lies Elise she helped plenty of people get way more love and real secure safe connection in their lives um, that would be deeply meaningful to me so be great if more and more people can hear that um, my legacy is my intended legacy and impact is to help more children get secure attachment. I really feel for the children that are just desperately wanting someone to hear and see and validate them and care about them and it's just not there for them. And I think the more people that can learn to see, hear and validate every part of their partner in the marriage, the more they'll be able to do that for their children when they're young but also as their children become adults. Um, that's deeply that's my big why my big why is for the children it's for the babies it's for the children um and i believe if we heal marriage we can heal we can help raise hopefully a generation of people that actually feel loved and know how to create love i mean wouldn't that be something wouldn't that be something so that's my whole gig over here that's my whole shtick and uh, if you want to share the podcast, uh, share my website, whatever, around with anyone you think could benefit from getting the love that they want or give it a rating, please, I would be very grateful for that. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, for anyone in Australia, I wish you a wonderful summer holiday. Woo! A few weeks away from summer. And for anyone also in the season of summer, enjoy. For anyone in any other season, probably coming into winter, a lot of the rest of the world, Wishing you a cozy, contented, connected winter. All right, lots of love. Bye for now.